Are we comfortable? Yeah. Ali said the right question, uh, right answer, no, because actually we shouldn't be comfortable. Because actually the trouble is we are too comfortable. Okay, we're going to come on to that a little bit later. I can't believe you can be comfortable in these chairs, to be honest. They're not bad, but let's be honest. I've, been, I've spoken at worst churches and sometimes just sitting there, I'm desperate to get up to preach. Not because I'm really excited about the message, but just because the chair is so awful. But, um, but hey, okay. We're going to think about growing in discipleship a little bit this morning, okay? And it's not going to be what you're thinking, hopefully. So, um, so we've got a nice little plant. It's lovely. I have no idea what that plant is. And if your Bible has got a plant grown out of it like that, it probably means you're not reading it enough, okay? So um, I've never planted a seed in my Bible. I've not put soil on my Bible, um, especially now it's on my phone, so it really wouldn't do any good. But, um, but we're thinking a little bit about how do we grow in God. And, and there's lots of things we do, but I'm also thinking about do we mean what we say? And I don't think we often do mean what we say, and especially when we sing songs to, to, to Jesus. Okay, you've just promised, okay, let me just pray see what you've sung to God this morning, okay? You promised to give God everything you have, including your whole life, okay? Which means... If someone walked into this room and needed a car for God, you're going to give them your keys and sign over your logbook to them. Okay, that's what you've just agreed to. You've agreed that if God calls you to sell your house and move to a country with nothing, that's what you've agreed to. That if you're walking down a situation and you've got to do something and do something you don't want to do, you've agreed to do it because you're going to give everything to God, including your life and your time that when God calls you. But what we're really good at doing is taking that and saying, yeah, but, and our buts are bigger. (laughs) I knew what I was saying. Our buts are bigger than our desires quite often to do what we should do. Okay, because what we often do, we believe that I'll I'll do everything for you, God, but I won't do this. I know somebody got married and her husband promised to give her, share everything with her, apart from his Triumph motorbike. Now, honestly... That is probably one of the most honest wedding vows that's out there because he was genuine in it. It was like, you can have everything, but you cannot have my Triumph motorbike. And um, so, and, and I think quite often we're more like that if we're really honest than when we actually sing that song, all those songs. That we're like, you can have everything, God, but actually I really don't want you to have this, 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 this. And I remember Ishmael, who was a, a children's worship leader and slightly crazy guy who was very unmusical, I think. I think three chords was his limit, if I'm right, Andy, yeah? And um, so there you go. If you, if you want to learn how to lead worship, you can get away with just three chords. And, um, so, and he used to say, is, if you're in church and you're singing a song, you don't really mean the words 100%, don't sing. But I think if we did that, we would all be silent. <laughs> Because when we begin to really think about it, and there's one, and it's a song that has really um, been really useful for me, actually, in worship at various times, but Oceans, we love Oceans. It was like one of the big hits, wasn't it? One of the big worship hits, but we don't mean it. We really don't mean it. Let me just read out. You call me out upon the waters, the great unknown where feet may foul. So you're calling me out, God, to a place where I might really mess up, and it might go disastrously wrong, and there I find you in the mystery. I'll find, you'll, you'll find Jesus in the mystery. In oceans deep, my faith will stand. It won't waver. It will stand strong. So I'll call upon your name, name and keep my eyes above the waves. When oceans roll, my soul will rest in your embrace. For I am yours and you are mine. Oh, is the end. That's in the lyrics. 
But um, I think O would probably be a little bit more appropriate if we actually stopped and think about what we're doing. Because what we're saying is that I've got everywhere where it could go completely wrong. And I don't think many of us are that good at going to a place where it could go disastrously wrong. I have made a whole ministry of it, in fairness. It's one of my specialities in my trustees meeting. Deb's been one of my trustees, so she may well have heard something like this before. But when I first arrived here, the organisation was in a little bit of a mess. I run the local Youth for Christ Centre, for those of you who don't know me. And, um, and I spent my first 12 months... I, don't know if I, I think Nia knows this. She'll find out in a minute when I say it. But um, I think in the, in the first 12 months, we had no money... We just had basically to pay for the office and pay for my salary. And if we did any ministry, we had to find it. There was no money whatsoever. We've always been a faith-based mission. but it was, And we were in a mess because it had gone disastrously wrong in style. And, um, and I came in at this point, and, and I spent my first 12 months going, we need to do this, and we're going to risk the money. It's not your salary, it's mine anyway, is what I used to say to the trustees. That was a fairly much my mantra in the first 12 months. And it was genuine in case of... If it went wrong, it meant I didn't get paid. But actually, we came on the back on here on the back of the fact that we've gone to. Ooh, I will. I, I'm just trying to work out which movement I need to do to get it, and um, just to really freak out Dan. And then, but we came on the back of that of living in a place where we'd stepped out and gone to London, where literally we could not afford to eat. And I'm, when I'm saying you needed a food bank. We didn't have any money to buy a single packet of crisps, let alone anything else. Not that you'd choose that as your priority, I hope, if you've got no money. But, um, but we'd stepped out and, and, and literally be taking a 70% hit in salary, a 100% increase in mortgage, which was still cheaper than renting in, in London. And, um, and Nia was about to give birth to Jester, so it's going to be quite hard for her to work. Even I wouldn't be that harsh. And um, so we literally had to live by faith. And what was really interesting is there were moments in that time, I remember Neil will talk about the fact, about crying about the fact that she couldn't have a cream egg at one point, which might sound like a really strange thing, but actually when you're just going, actually, I'd love a cream egg, but I can't afford it. Um, and, and during that time, we'd have young people in my youth group who would come to me, that's all right, God will provide. And do you know what? You have no right to tell somebody who's living by faith that God will provide until you've lived by faith, okay? Because all you're doing is being quite arrogant. And um, that sounds really harsh, but and those of us in the room who have lived by faith will know until you've stepped out and taken that risk, you never know whether you'll be able to do it. And I'll tell you what, 25 years later, if God asked us to go into that same place and, and take that same step and to be as, as hairy in life as it, as it could get again, I don't know whether we would do it. I'm not saying we wouldn't, but I don't know. And at the time, we were, I remember talking to my uncle who wasn't a Christian, and he was like, you're stupid. It's like, I know, but God will provide. And he did. And having seen God provide, I still go, I don't know if I could do it again. And, I, and most people, I was chatting to a missionary yesterday, and I was saying this to her, and she was like, yeah, no, I know what you mean. And because um, you do it, but you're thinking, wow, it's, it's scary. And, and actually, it's a, it's a faith-based mission. We never know. We're always forever taking risks and stepping out. We're just about to take another one. And, um, or I'm saying things that, um, that pe I mean, I've said things before, and like, people don't believe you when they say that. It's like, I don't care. It's not near as great, by the way, so you don't know near. It, and, um, but actually, she's my sounding board of when I am stupid and say stupid things, which is quite common. And, um, but if, when I go, we're going to step out and do this. And sometimes people go, yeah, no. And I'm going, but we're going to, because God's called us to it. And, um, 
And it's about whether we step out and how much of a risk are we prepared to take. I wonder if you want to turn your Bibles into Matthew 14 or open up your um, phone, pretend to look on social media while you're pretending to read the Bible. Um, alternatively, actually read from the Bible. We're looking for Matthew chapter 14 um, in verse 22. And I'm going to turn a little at the screen. So immediately after this, Jesus, it doesn't matter what it's for, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat and cross to the other side of the lake while he sent the people home. After sending them home, he went up the hill, into the hills by himself to pray. Night fell while he was there alone. Meanwhile, the disciples were in trouble far away from land, for a strong wind had risen and they were fighting heavy waves. About three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came towards them walking on the water. When the disciples saw they don't do quit doing okay, let's not play good. <laughs> when the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were terrified. In their fear, they cried out, It's a ghost. But Jesus spoke to them at once. Do not be afraid, he said. Take courage, I am here. Then Peter called to him, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. Yes, come, Jesus said. So Peter went over the side of the boat and walked on the water toward Jesus. But when he saw the strong wind and the waves, he was terrified and began to sink. Save me, Lord, he shouted. Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him. You have so little faith, Jesus said. Why did you doubt me? When, when, they, re when they climbed back into the boat, the wind stopped. I think I've, I've said stuff about this before, okay? And, and, and I was aware of that when I was preparing this last night. But um, I think it's important. I think we've reached a point in the church's life, and, in, and I say that the, the national church's life, where we've decided that comfort is more important than faith and stepping out. And um, we naturally go to comfort. You know, look at our cars. My, our son has got, I think it's a 1997 VW Polo. And when we first drove, drove it back for him from Basingstoke, and... Um, Oh, and we got halfway home. And, I, you know, Basin's over here is just a little short hop, isn't it? So it's not long. But um, I got halfway and I've got to stop at a service, leg, my, a service station. My legs are killing me. It was just so uncomfortable. And then I jump into my car. It's so much nicer. It's not that like I've got the flashiest car in the world, but it's so much nicer, so much more comfortable. Anything built post-2010 in comparison to a 1990s car is going to be so much more comfortable. We want our comfort. We have these nice big sofas that are comfortable, we can lounge around in. And don't get me wrong, that's great, but we seek that in life as well. That we worry about um, if there's enough of a, a, a cushion, you want enough of a cushion financially, you want a nice house, you want to be in a nice area for your kids to go to a nice school. We want um, every bit of comfort going all around us. And, and actually, we prize comfort over anything else. Yeah, actually, comfort just makes you fat and lazy, he says. And um, that actually, um, but it, it does, comfort doesn't help us. That actually, for growth, there has to be struggle. Okay, you can look at, if you can flick up the picture of the plant, Dawn, again. If you, the picture of the plant, if you've got leaves, if you imagine, runner beans are great at this, because, you know, when you're a kid and you get given a jam jar and some, um, some of that papery thing, and um, I'm so not a scientist, and... Blotting paper, that's it. Blotting paper, and then you put a, a runner bean down the side, and you watch it, and you can see that the sort of plant just forces its way and splitting the shell. And it's got to struggle to get out of the plant. 
um, out, out the seed. And then if you look at a caterpillar, and, and guys, those of you who were at the, um, the weekend away, I promise I'm not going to do my caterpillar impression again. There was once was too much. And, um, but a caterpillar has to struggle to get out of a chrysalis. If, it, if you help a caterpillar out of its chrysalis, that butterfly is scuppered. You've ruined its life. It needs the struggle to give it the strength. If you take away the pressure from carbon, you don't get diamonds. And let's be honest, no one's ever said, darling, I'd really like you to buy me a carbon engagement ring. So um, <laughs> it would be a lot cheaper. But anyway, um, but everything that has growth and value has struggle that it needs to be in a situation which isn't comfortable, where there's struggle, there's, there's effort. There's never comfort in growth. That when you're training, Tom would know more about this because he does weight, you know weights, don't you? That you there's an element when you're, you're doing exercise, any form of exercise, that your, your, your muscles will get to a point where if you do the same exercise all a point, they don't grow. They don't develop. You actually need to just change things up a little bit or you need to stretch them a little bit more. So you're straining the muscle more in order to get the growth. That actually, if you have done a workout and you're thinking, oh, everything seems fine, you've probably not done anything. Is that fair, Tom? It's, a, it's not completely, but it's, it's, a, it's a rough thing. If I've gone out cycling and my legs were like, oh, that was easy, it probably wasn't a very valuable cycle ride in terms of it fitness. Whereas... There is something when you get back where <laughs> there's something really nice when you've done some exercise and there's an element of pain which is also quite pleasurable in terms of you know you've worked hard. And actually, there's, and it's in that moment where you've not overstrained a muscle but you've worked it enough that you know you've got some growth. And Peter is on this boat and like all the other disciples, he's just sitting there when Jesus strolls out onto the water. Slightly weird image. They think he's a ghost. Understandably, you would. And, um, but Peter is the only one who says, Jesus, call me out. Let me, step a f let me take a step, which is into water that will just be crazy. As, as um, Lynn earlier on said, that it's a nightmare for her if she steps out of a boat because um, she can't swim. So that's a greater step of faith. We have no idea. We assume that Peter can swim. But, um, but to be honest... You could be the best swimmer in the world, but when you're in the middle of a storm, you don't choose to get out of a boat and walk on the water. In fact, when it's calm, just as a little tip of life, generally, you don't get out to walk on the water. That's not normal behaviour, okay? And um, I've jumped off boats, and you sink. You do pop back up again, it's okay, but you do go under the water. It's okay when you're five and you weigh nothing, you don't walk on the water, but you don't go very deep. But as you get to be an adult, you sink, and then you pop back up again. Especially, ideally, you want a life jacket. But um, Peter had no life jacket. He had nothing. He stepped out in the water, and he said, Jesus, if you just call me, and I'll come. Now, that is saying, I will go, and I'm going to follow my words with actions. Okay? There's a thing called praxis, which is a combination of theory and action. And without, without the action, the theory won't develop. And without the theory, the action won't develop. That you need both theory and action. You can sit and read your Bible all day long, and you'll learn loads about God. Okay? You might not grow as much in God as you think you would. You can spend all your day in prayer, and God will do some amazing things. But you will not grow as much in your discipleship without any action that follows it. 
In fact, normally it's that there's, isn't it, Lord, Lord send the harvest, send the, send the workers, the harvesters right for harvesting, the fields are right for harvesting, send more workers. And then, and the answer to the prayer is off you go then. Okay? So when we pray, expect to be the answer and you have to go. It's not always the case, but we're not static. It cannot be static. We've got to just step out and do something crazy. And, and I look at the church nationally and we've become so comfortable, so boring is the only word I can really think about because that sums it up entirely, that actually I understand why no one would want to know about Jesus because we've made Jesus boring. And actually faith has to be a step where you have no idea whether the ground is safe below it because otherwise it's not, it's not, it's not safe. It's not faith because... If you know what's ahead of you, you're looking with your eyes and you know it's safe. It's not faith when you know it's all going to be okay. It's faith when you're sitting there going, if I step here and if I'm just having the trust that God will just keep me up in the air, then I'm only doing it on, on a faith in Jesus. And I'm not talking about something completely bonkers where you go, hey, I'll just do anything. And, um, but actually in a sense where... When we know that God is calling us to step out, we need to go. And I look, at, and what really bothers me is that when, when, when we were younger, some of us, and I know from stories we've told each other, some of us when we were younger did some bonkers things for Jesus. We stepped out. And it really bothers me that actually as I look down, and I'm not, I'm not saying generationally everyone's like this, but on a whole, generationally, there isn't risk-taking for Jesus at younger generations. And those of us who have lived it before, I think we need to model it again. And we might not want to model it again, because it was quite scary last time. But we need to do that. We need to keep doing it, A, to grow in our faith, also to model it to younger generations. And I, I, I do, don't get me wrong, I do see some people doing it. And I also see a lot of people of older generations who have never stepped out and taken a risk. But I want you to think about what would it look like. So I want to ask you one simple question. Okay, I do this when I'm coaching. I do this um, when I interview people. If you ever have an interview with a job before me, you're almost certainly going to be asked this question. So a little heads up. So, um, and the question is simply this. If you could do anything for God and you can guarantee it wouldn't fail, what would you do? Okay, I'm just little. So if you could do anything for God and you can guarantee it wouldn't fail, what would you do? Now, what happens in interviews with me is because it's an evangelist youth organisation, everyone goes, I would like to see all the young people I know come to faith. And I go, lovely. Right, let's ask the next question. Narrow that down. If you could do that, what, and you could do it in a way that wouldn't fail, what would you do specifically? And you narrow it down so you've got something which is more concrete. So when it's abstract and, and, and really wide, I'd like to end, I'd like to bring world peace. Great. What does it look like for you to do that? Bring it down. Keep bringing that question and ask yourself, what would you do for God that's tangible if you knew it wouldn't fail? Some of you will know that instantly. Okay? Some of you will go, oh my word, I need to have a lie down to think about it. And that's fine. But I want over this next week, you all to ask that question. If you could do anything tangible for God and it wouldn't fail, what would you do? And then you need to ask yourself the next question, which is simply, why aren't you doing it? Okay? If you, um, if you have a desire to do something and you tell nothing, no one and write it down, there's about a one in ten chance that you'll achieve it. If you then tell 
someone or write that down. I think it goes up to about 20% chance. If you've got a, a dream you want to see happen, you write it down to 20% chance. If you then tell someone, it increases again. If you then tell someone to have coaching, it's up to about 47%, I think, um, of seeing it come to fruition. So what I want you to do is ask that question and ask yourself, why aren't I doing it? And then tell someone. If you're in a small group, share them as a small group. If you're um, not in a small group, you haven't got a small group this week, message someone, talk to someone that you know that you trust. And they might go, that's slightly bonkers if you thought about this. But don't let them tell you it's bonkers just because it's going to be difficult. Okay, That's not what we're talking. But actually, what would it look like? if? Because what, what we're getting to is, these are the heart things that we've got. Okay, They're our heart and our passion, and those are the, those are the things that can drive us. They're often the things that God has put in us that we either choose to ignore or we choose to action. And, um, and sometimes those are things that need to wait. Sometimes those are things that we need to share and we need to listen to other people who just tell us, no, it's not possible. Sometimes those things are the things that God's really put in there that we need to action and we need to do something about now. But when we do it with other people, we're in a stronger position to do it. And God surrounds us by other people. We're not people in isolation. And sometimes when we do it, you will fail. Okay? Peter failed. He didn't walk on the water for very long. He starts in. Jesus grabs him up. And, but the worst case scenario is Peter got a bit of a rebuke, and then she said, but I'm here for you. That's the worst case scenario. So... I want you to really sort of spend time thinking about it and going, actually, what is it? And, and if, if, you say, if you say to someone, is it too safe? Give them permission to say, could you look at something a bit less safe? Why not? You're taking a risk already. And, um, because actually, when we begin to step out, we will see God do great things. But because what happens, when we're surrounded by people who are telling us to play it safe or don't take the risk, then what we do, we become complacent in that, and we become safe people. We go to the place of safety every time, the place of comfort. And, and actually, we need other people who will push us forward to take a risk. And, and that risk can look completely different for everyone, okay? And different people have different levels of risk. And when I say risk, I mean faith, okay? John Wimmer spelled faith, R-I-S-K. And, and I think it is, because actually it's not safe. Faith, faith can't be safe. And um, we need to be stepping out and doing something different. So ask yourself, if you're uncertain of whether it's safe, ask someone who's a bit more of a risk taker. And if you're a risk taker, find someone who will actually be a, a wise counsel so you don't do something completely crazy because you ate too much cheese the night before. And um, so, But actually surround yourself by people who push you forward not keep you complacent and safe. If, if Peter had listened to the rest of the disciples, he probably wouldn't have got out of the boat. He was the only one. The safe place was in the boat. It, was dry. it wasn't dry. It was a storm. It was a fishing boat. But it wasn't any cruise liner. But it, wasn't, it was safe. There's no fisherman on this earth who goes, there's a really big storm, I'll be much better outside the boat than in. Okay? So the rest of the, of the disciples were there 
but they chose the place of safety and only Peter chose to step out. He could have listened to the other voices. I would imagine if, they were, if you were to be sitting there and there was a record of what the disciples were going, they were probably t- saying that Peter was a bit of an idiot. And to a certain extent, you can understand their point. It made no sense. But he didn't listen to the voices that held him back and we need to surround ourselves by the voices who push us forward in faith. And when we do that, that's when we truly encounter Jesus. And you will never grow in your faith as much as when you're stepping out in faith. And when I, can I just say, when I'm talking about stepping out of faith, I'm not talking about sharing Jesus with your neighbour. Okay? I'm talking, that's normal behaviour if you're a Christian. That should be normal behaviour, sharing your faith with those around you. I'm talking about something which is generally in a place where we're going, there's something slightly scary about this, but we step out. Now, actually, I was, in, I was interviewing for a centre director's role in the centre in the southwest the other day. And there was, um, the woman being interviewed was very good, very accomplished. And, and I said to her, you must be taking a huge cut in salary to do this job. And my estimate was somewhere between five and £10,000. And, and for those of you who ever wondered, you don't get paid massively well as a youth price centre director. It's just not in the, it's not in the, in the programme. And um, so she was taking a real risk. And her comment is there, yeah, what I've been doing over the last 12 months has been trying to re- reimagine what um, my living would be, and I've been living on a much smaller section of my salary in preparation. This was a woman who was willing to take a risk, and she is of the younger generation. She was willing to take a risk and to step out, and to do and prepare for that, she'd started putting the actions in place ahead of time, so when the moment came, she was ready. Okay. When we step out of faith, you just don't do something foolishly without thinking about it. You've thought it through and you've prepared for it, and then you make a decision. And as we do that, I can guarantee, and those, and, and actually, I, it sounds like it's, I'm saying it's a bigger thing. When you've lived by faith financially, those of us who have done that will tell you it's an amazing thing, it's an amazing privilege, because you encounter God in a really amazing way. Um, I'm not saying when you do something, what might seem to be smaller, you don't encounter God in the same way, but there is something, it's, it's, a, it's an obviously tangible thing when you're living by faith, and when you're sitting again, if the money doesn't come in, we don't eat. Um, and so, but actually, you encounter God in a way that is completely different, that our growth must be tied into our action and to step out. And I want you to just go, let's bend the comfort. There's nothing wrong with being comfortable sometimes. But actually, would you actually do what it says on some of those songs we sung earlier on about um, giving my life my all when I survey? Um, but actually, ultimately, the reason we do it is because Jesus has done so much for us. That song, when I survey, it just talks about the fact that I will give everything I have because God has done so much for me. And Jesus has done something amazing for all of us. And actually, even if you don't know Jesus, he's done something amazing for you. It's irrelevant whether you know that. It's irrelevant whether you believe it. It's irrelevant whether you've ever heard it before. It's Jesus has still done that already. And actually, as we begin to realise that, we go, wow. You don't suddenly go, I want to become a Christian 
because I woke up this morning, it seemed like a good idea. You, you decide that, that you want to find out about Jesus and you find out what Jesus has done and then you choose, actually, I'm going to follow him. And, and I remember I was at a meeting, I'm a Southampton fan, I was at a meeting at Fram Park where Portsmouth play with um, the people from Faith and Football, Mick Mellows. And um, Mick had these books and they were telling me they've written these books, they do a reader's theme, it's amazing. And... Um, they do a reading steam, go into stores with these books, and they say, so what we've done, we wrote some Bible stories, and inside my heart sank. So I know what happens when Christians do these sorts of things. Sometimes it's tragically awful. And he, and he showed me these books, and they were okay. They weren't anything special. And, and I was like, oh, I just, oh, I don't know what to say. And he says, and the thing is, and, and actually the, the reading improvement, actually if anyone's been a governor of a store, the reading improvement was phenomenal. I was like, I was a head chair of governors at the time, going, I'd want this in my school. And... Um, but then he said, the amazing thing is, they just read the stories about Jesus and they just fall in love with Jesus. At which point I felt really bad because that was me going, the pictures aren't great. But, um, but actually, we were saying, actually, when we discover who Jesus is and we see who Jesus is, we fall in love with him. We can fall in love with him because he just is amazing. And um, so if you don't know Jesus, if you've never encountered Jesus, I want to encourage you to just spend a bit of time and go, I'm going to look. I'm going to explore. You know, you don't have to make a decision to go, that's it, I'm all in. I've just heard the name Jesus, I'm all in. Don't do that. Explore. Fine. I can guarantee that when you spend time talking to people about what Jesus has done in their life, you will sit there and go, that is quite amazing. Don't ignore the boring bits that sometimes go with it and sometimes the weird things that people do and just go listen to what Jesus has done and it's amazing. And if you've decided that actually you've heard about Jesus and you want to find out more, ask a friend, ask someone at church, message us online. But if you want to just do something about that, then all you need to do is say, Jesus, I want to give you my life. That's all you need to do. That's the starting point. You go, Jesus, I'm all in. The answer is yes. I'll try and follow you, and I don't even know what that means at the moment, but I'm going to learn about it, and I'm going to grow about it and find out about it. And if you want to do that, all I'm going to do now is let's just pray, and it's not going to be some really weird holy prayer. It's going to be a simply, Lord, the answer is yes, Jesus. That is the prayer. So um, if you want to actually come to know Jesus this morning, if you want to find out about him and explore life with him, then let's just pray. So let's just let's close our eyes. I know Jesus... And we can all pray this. If you, if you know Jesus, you can pray this as well. Jesus, I'm in today because I want to say yes to you. Amen. I wasn't thinking you'd say it out loud, but there you go. Um, but actually, that's all we do. We say yes to Jesus. And if you've said yes for the first time, see me afterwards, message us, and then we can explain what it looks like and where you go further from that.